0: Hey, Andy Grammer here, and you are listening to The Good Parts Podcast. Tell me your story, but don't leave the good parts out. Good Parts, episode number 11. Guys, this is really fun. This is with my one of my best friends in the world, Justin Baldoni. He is um, Raphael on Jane the Virgin, plus a director of a new movie coming out called Five Feet Apart. You're going to love this episode. Um It's also cool because we did it as a live podcast episode. So we had a bunch of fans come to the hotel cafe in Los Angeles and we did it in front of an audience and that was a whole different experience. So I hope you appreciate it. Um, It will be filmed and you can go check it out on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if we'll probably put it up on Facebook too, but we're going to start filming all these podcasts so you guys can see our facial uh, reactions. Um it's, honestly it's just I, I like that sometimes too. Sometimes I like to listen to podcasts, and other times it's fun to just pull it up on YouTube and watch to people. So uh that's coming soon, and uh it should be out today, actually. So look forward if you I'm sure if you just look on YouTube, the good parts podcast, Andy Grammer or Justin Baldoni, it'll it'll come up. Um we get into a lot of awesome stuff. My favorite is his description of life after death, which is pretty awesome. So look out for that. What else we got here? It's just, it's, it's really, really sweet to sit down with, not just with someone that I respect and am inspired by, but also was like my roommate and one of my closest friends. It's kind of a longer episode, if I'm going to be honest, because at the very end, we actually did a question and answer with the crowd and they asked not only Justin questions, but they asked me questions too. So this is a longer running one. I think it's worth it. I think you'll dig it. And, um, and hopefully I'm going to do these live podcasts, not only in Los Angeles. So be on the lookout, guys. And uh, it's so fun to do this. I'm having such a good time. So here we are. Get into it. Episode 11. Justin Baldoni. Check it out. First of all, we just got the sign. How cool is the sign? I'm like really excited about this sign.
1: Um, um Hey, hello. man.
0: How are you? Hey, dude. I feel like we're we're really good friends, but I haven't had a good long chat with you. In, we're like, ships
1: passing ships in the passing night. Ships passing in the night. So
0: this is really nice to sit down with you. Um, there's so many things I want uh, anybody who listens to this podcast to take from you. And I want to start with um, my last days. Because that, when when we were roommates, that was like the thing that really, I think, shifted some stuff for you.
1: Yeah. I, hold on, I want to take it back one second. Okay, how cool is it that we were roommates and like homies and struggled like all at the exact same time? Yes. And ha- and I'm just there's like a moment. Even the fact that there's more than three people here that, that like <laughs> that like wanted to come. There was a little bit of a line. I yeah. feel like you you texted you text. I don't know how you text ten thousand people, but somehow you do. Anyways, but how crazy is it that like we could even like people even care what it's we unbelievable. Have to you say.
0: know, I, one of the things that Justin did for me, he was one of the first guys I met when I moved to uh, Hollywood, and he he was on a show, and he was like, he looks like a movie star, or he always did. <laughs> so I get down and I have this friend now, and we were running, and he was like trying to teach me how to work out, but whatever. <laughs> um, and we're on treadmills and he looked me in the eye I'll remember this you probably don't even remember saying this and he, he looked at me I had nothing going on like I was street performing we were,
1: no I remember we were right here at 24 hour
0: yeah I was street performing I was like slinging CDs on the street trying my hardest and, I, and I, there wasn't a lot of prospect in my future at the moment and this cool guy from Hollywood looked me in the eye and he goes like if I could buy stock in you I would dude I feel the I, to this day No. I was like oh my god I need that so bad right now Thank you so, so much. There are very few people that I've
1: ever believed in as much as i believed in Andy Grammer. And even and I think that's the most important thing about, like, really good friends, is that even when you can't see yourself, they see you. They see you. And they remind you of your purpose. So I saw,
0: okay, so you were, you had been on Everwood, and you had this kind of, like, rise, and then you had this moment. And then I had this immediate drop. This, like, (laughs) 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 only when you're this close can you be like, yeah, you had a drought. And I was with you through it. And yeah. I remember you like, c- kind of like creating this idea of My Last Days out of it. And it was something that you'd been banging on the door, the acting door for a while, and it wasn't opening the way you wanted it to. And you just decided to go the directing route. What, what, do you remember how that came to you or what, what the, you know, the origin story of My Last well, Days is? So First of all, My Last Days, t- tell us about Yeah, so
1: My Last Days is a documentary series where I travel the country and I tell stories of incredible people who have a terminal illness but are just living beautiful lives. And it's, it, it, it's actually, so Andy and I are both Baha'is. Yeah. And that's one of the ways we became friends. And it's rooted in a Baha'i quote where Baha'u'llah says, I've made death a messenger of joy for thee. Uh, wherefore dost thou grieve? This idea that like, how could death be joyful? And the one thing that I've known about it is I've always been someone that's been strangely drawn to people before they pass. So like, you know, I think we spend our lives trying to forget that one day, none of us are gonna be here, like physically here anymore. So it's like we distract ourselves with the world and we forget that like one day we're gonna die. Like we were born and then we have somewhere that we're going and we don't always think about what happens afterwards. This idea of like, how can death be joyful has always kind of just been like, how does that work? No matter how deep your faith is, like, how does that work? and I know you obviously have had some pretty intense experiences with it, yeah. and and as have I. And, and so I wanted to create something that helped us remember like that while we're here, we should really live. And what better way than to like literally remind ourselves that one day we're not gonna be here. But what's interesting about that show, tying it back into our friendship was, that was like the lowest of the low for me. Like I had had everything stripped away at that point. And, I'll never forget, and this is an Andy Grammer story, that I was in, we, we, had, we lived together at the time, and his room was like, like across the hall, and he was just always like playing music, and his life was good and happy, and he was touring and everything, It was just like about to blow up, and you could feel, it's like a volcano before it erupts, you could feel that his career was just going to go through the roof, and I was now having the opposite experience of just sinking deeper. And deeper and deeper, <laughs> and trying to figure out how what am how am I going to like get through? How am I going to pay rent?
0: You had and a car what, thing. Do you remember the car thing? I was I used to. I was he
1: trying, would like <laughs> buy
0: he would like buy a cheap car, and then like <laughs> flip it on Craigslist, and then flip it again and flip it again. I'm like I'm pretty sure that's not your purpose, but you're really good at that. You're like then, surprisingly I got, and, good at and that
1: then I, until I got sued and I never did it okay, again. Okay. Um, but Andy came over to me and he gave me a card. And in that card was a check for $500. And he said, I believe in you and I love you and it's a gift for me to be able to give this to you. And that was how I paid rent that month. And it was right around that same, it was that month or the month after that I was sitting in the room and it just came through me and I just it was literally my last days. Uh, a show about living told by the dying. And for me, like that was what I needed to like remind myself, like, hold on a second, there's so much more to life. And so I started the show. My house went into foreclosure, remember that? It was yep. crazy. And um, my entire life changed because it was, like, it was, I realized that my gifts could be used in a way um, that could really help people yeah. and help mankind. So so he had
0: me on the show. I don't know if you've seen the show. Uh, I, I He called me and he's like, there's, there. what was her name? Ellie? Ellie. Yeah. He's like, I need you to write a song. Or this lady who's about to pass away, I'm like, oh shit. Um, so I did, and I loved, well, she
1: loved him, and her son loved him. They would they would watch you on Dancing with the Stars every night. Yeah. And so it was, and every episode was designed in a way where we gave one person a beautiful experience that money could never buy them, um, and you were the experience of that. episode. And it
0: was just an unbelievable, unbelievable thing. What have you learned now, having done so many episodes? What's the are there some major takeaways about living that you've learned from these people that are passing away? Like most of them, not, not most of them, but a lot of them pass, have passed away.
1: Yeah. Taxing lot, on yeah. your heart to like I become
0: ha- so close to someone and then they pass away.
1: Well, there's two, Yeah, there's two sides of it. One is I desperately need therapy. <laughs> okay. Because it's true. Like you, act, you, it's, it's, in some ways, it's like being a, it's this weird thing where you, you knowingly fall in love with someone who's going to die. But if you think about it, it's not different than any of us. They just know when. Yeah. So it's like we we separate ourselves from people with terminal illnesses as if we don't have one. Like Ooh, we're born terminal. Yeah. We just convince ourselves that we're not, and that tomorrow is going to come. Um, and that's the one thing I've learned is that every single one of them, like it's like not don't sweat the small stuff. It's like make your life a beautiful piece of art. You have the chance. Um, you, know, you don't have to find out you're dying to start living. All of these things that, you know, the poets and the religious teachers have, from like millennia have been teaching us are manifest in these people, but it shouldn't take us having to like get sick to start living the lives that, you know, we wanna live and that we could be proud of. And that's yes. also what they say. It's like, you don't have to find, you don't have to be like me. You don't have to find out you're dying to start living. And that's kinda like, that's the one thing that I've learned. And the other thing that I've learned is, you know, when you surround yourself with that many people, <laughs> That are, and you're texting with them, and, and they become like family. Like, it never gets easier. No matter how much I meditate on it, or pray about it, or think about it, the pain never gets easier when you lose somebody. And um, and I think that's one of these strange gifts, like, in, about like life is it's just it's supposed to hurt. The difference is is like,
0: can it can it be a beautiful thing at the same time? Yeah. Ooh. Um, and has that. You're about to release it's coming out. When is the, the Five Feet Apart movie coming? Five Feet Apart comes out March twenty second, twenty nineteen. So did did that spur out I mean it's like so it is a love story of people that can't be together. Yeah. Justin has a feature film coming out. It's the first time he's directing a feature film. Give it up for him. Holy shit, it's awesome. Starring, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's this kid that I, you know, it's this
1: kid that nobody's ever heard of. I hope he makes it one day. Cole Sprouse is in it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, it's just this beautiful story about two kids with cystic fibrosis that um, can't touch because of their their illness. And it's this exploration of love. Like, what if you couldn't touch the person that you love the most? Um, because I think we need to be reminded of how freaking lucky we are to, like, be able to just be this close to each other, to hug our spouses or our parents or whatever. And,
0: yeah. And it's a real thing. It's like a real illness. It's not like a and there's yeah. no one better to direct this movie after you've just done you're on your fourth season of my last days yeah yeah like the emotional intensity to bring that in to go to go make this it's movie so about the, yeah i need to do happier
1: like comedy <laughs> stuff i need some of my favorite times were like going backstage and on tour with andy cuz everything is just so happy and like oh, all man. these really like awesome musicians like playing happy music all the time <laughs> and i'm like all
0: right where where does this come where does this thirst for being around such like rich, emotional stuff?
1: I don't know. I feel like I'm just a truth seeker, man. And I just think that, you know, in the Baha'i faith, we talk a lot about, like, the veil that is this world, right? Like, yeah. how this, none of this is real, right? And if you're not spiritual, then the easiest way to look at it is, if you think about it, like the matrix, right? Like, none of it's real. It's just all designed to distract us. Mm-hmm. And I just have always had this, like, thirst for wanting to know, like, truth, and reality and like, well, what do we really think? I'm not good at small talk. That's why I love like the good parts. It's like when that song came out, I was like, oh my God, right? It's on my first date with my wife who's here, like we talked about, we talked, we literally talked about the afterlife and death for like an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, a, that was a breakfast. And then on our actual first, this is really, this is really screwed up. I can't, but on our actual first date, we went to a cemetery because there was a celebration of Thornton Chase, who was the first American Baha'i. And there was like wow. 200 happy people, but I literally took her to a cemetery. She's like, where are you taking me? Why are we doing this? <laughs> um, but I just, but, but what happened from that is you like, you really get to know a person. Yeah. Like, I don't care, you know, and you sing about this all the time. So I'm preaching to the converted, but like, I don't like, it's great what shows you like or what you're into, but I really want to know who you are. And I think for me, like we have so much time on this planet like what's really going on like i want to i want to see you know i want to see who the wizard really is um and I, I don't know i think so that i think that's a part of it i mean we
0: usually wait to the end to get to this specific question but it's right on the it's like right here so what is your, what do you think happens when you die cuz even mm. just to say like oh you keep going like what does that actually mean though so, and having been so close to all these people yeah. like so where are they so
1: uh, i'm going to uh, i'll use an analogy that also comes from our faith mm-hmm. and it's this idea that Birth and death are the same. And as parents now, it's a, I think it's, a, it's easier to think about. You know, so when, when we're born, right, we're in the womb of our moms, and we have everything that we could possibly need. Right? We have safety, we have security, we have comfort, we're getting fed. Like we are in our own universe, our own matrix. And the entire time we are coexisting in two places at once. We're both in our own universe, right? Where we're super happy and content, we're developing things, we're developing our eyes and our ears, all these things we don't need where we are. And then at the same exact time, literally an inch away, we are here at hotel cafe, right? And can you imagine trying to explain to like the baby in the womb that there's two people that are talking using vo- like vocal cords that have not been developed yet. And then there's a neon sign here. And just outside this room, there's like clouds and a sky and a solar system and a universe and a sun. And there's a Hollywood sign. Like there's no, like you could never, ever, ever explain that to like this embryo that's growing in this womb. Yet they're in the same place. They're one in the same. Um, and what we're told as you go through this process of You're know you in the womb, spend nine months in the womb, ten months really, and you're developing these things and then one day when you you don't know when, you die of the womb. You die through a very uncomfortable process. You are thrust out of that entire world that you know. You go through a tunnel. (laughs) (laughs) On the other end of the tunnel is light. And you're met by people who have been waiting for you the entire time who love you so much. much. (laughs) So much in a way that you could never comprehend, right? It's warmth, it's light, it's, it's the exact thing. And then here you are, you're with your parents, you're with these people, and suddenly you need all of these things you were developing in the womb the entire time. You had no use for your eyes when you were in the womb, but suddenly your eyes allow you to process light. You had no use for your taste buds because you were being fed through an umbilical cord. You need all these things. The Baha'i belief, and what I believe happens to us after we die, is we go through this this process on this earth, 90 years, 80 years if we're lucky, um, for some much shorter, and we're developing things as well. We're developing our spiritual arms and legs and eyes and ears, and those things come in the form of patience and forbearance and kindness and trust and honesty, all these virtues, right, all these things that we don't realize we need, but we need when we get tested, are things that I believe, that we believe, those are our arms and our ears and our eyes of wherever we're going next. And then one day, we're thrust out of this world in a probably uncomfortable process, <laughs> right? And hopefully, we're also then met with love from people and souls that have been waiting for us the whole time because we've only been an inch away and we're just right there next to this entire universe. And Baha'u'llah explains it to us in the faith like this. And it gives me a lot of comfort to know because I have experienced so many many little things where I'm like, there's no possible way that that, there's no way that that could have been a coincidence. Somebody just did that. And it's like how, it's like somebody from the other side, like if I'm the baby, was like singing to me and was like (laughs) talking to me. And I'm like, and I could hear something and this magical thing just, and I'm like, I know there's somebody that loves me over there. That's like trying to help me and assist me. And I know you've experienced those things too. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's comfort. And again, nobody can be totally sure, but yeah. that's like, that's what I
0: believe. Isn't it so funny. That it's like, it can be that or you're just dead. <laughs> right? <laughs> the big sleep, right? Like both of those are sleep. very, very fair options. But I it's Literally subscribe, that. It's the I subscribe to yeah. everything you just said, and I, uh, I love to live that way, and I genuinely believe it. Yeah. Um, but we are, we're put here with, like, you don't know. Good, or, good luck. Or
1: we could, have, you could have, we could have our own planets. We could be aliens. All things, all things go. are on the
0: table. This one makes the most sense to me. To me, it makes the most sense, too. And I think that, you know, I was, I, I've been talking about this analogy a lot lately that it's like we're here to play the game Monopoly, but the points have nothing to do with how much you get. Yeah, All the points are like mm-hmm. how you're treating everybody while you're playing. And if you actually live your life that way, and you, that's why the afterlife is such a fascinating thing to me because if you do believe in it, then you could, then you can like really think that maybe the point system isn't the correct point system that we're using. Um, that's the
1: test. Yeah. The point system is really the test.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very interesting.
1: We could talk about this all day. I know,
0: that's why we're here, that's the point. That's anyway. the point. So, something that I want to ask you for anybody else, a little closer, low, little lower, um, <laughs> is you're someone that just, and we're going to talk about more of them, but you do so many things. You know, you've like, you're an actor, you're now a director, you've done apps. You're, you're really good at somehow coming up with a crazy idea and then actually executing on it. And I know that there's so many people who are listening right now are talented and smart and they have important things to bring to this world and the process of getting that out of yourself into the world is freaking hard and I'm sitting next to someone right now who's really amazing at it what what advice would you give someone who's listening who's like man I I know that I I'm artistic or I know that I have a business I need to start I know that I know I have something to offer um they're they're you before my last days how, how, how do they get from there to now
1: mm. That's a, that's a hard question. because There's a few different parts to it. One is I feel like there was a lot of times in my life where I thought I was ready when I wasn't. Ooh, interesting. And, um, and I've been that person that's like, I'm ready to give the world everything. <laughs> and in reality, I wasn't. I needed to go through some, some pain and some heartache and some struggle. And it's through that struggle and that heartache and kind of reaching rock bottom, I think that you really get the tools necessary to be able to 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 give the world all of your gifts, uh-huh. that's like the first part of it. Okay, um, you know, it's like the idea of you have to go down before you can go up. Like when you jump, like you don't just get to like <laughs> you have to you you know you go down. the 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 bow and arrow has to be pulled back before you let it go. Mm. It's that. It's that. It's. And we don't always think about it that way. And I think we're also living in a in a time where everything is like so on demand and like everyone wants it now and everything's instant like Instacart, Insta this, Insta this, Uber, you know, <laughs> it's like now, 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 now. And I think we're forgetting, you know, there's no such thing as an overnight success. Like, you know, I was acting for 10 years before I got Jane the Virgin, yeah. right? And five, four of the years I had stopped acting because it was impossible or, you know, I'm having my first feature film come out, but when was, what was the first music video
0: I directed for you? A very like, long time. It was a very Justin long time. Justin directed time. Back Home, which is probably my favorite music video I've, I've had so far. Back so. Home,
1: Miss yeah. Me. Yeah. You know, like, uh, we just... So that's one of it. The other, The other is I think we also talk ourselves out of achieving greatness. And there's something... I think we are so afraid to show up as who we are and, like, give the world, like are true gifts and we talk ourselves out of it because we don't know how it's going to make someone else feel and we're also afraid of being rejected and we're afraid of, you know, what if it doesn't work? And I think we spend more time in the what if it doesn't work than what if it does. Yeah. And if we, if we just kind of focus... You live on there more, like, a ton? For me, I don't think about it either way until right beforehand and I go, oh my God, now I'm going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's like, oh, yeah, let's go do a podcast. Wait, why are we doing a live podcast? (laughs) We can't re-record anything. Wait, we have to be super intimate in front of a group of people that are watching us. And then it's like right before I'm like, oh, there's people in the audience. Oh, this is going to be awful. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same thing. It's like before my TED Talk, right? it's a TED Talk. And at first I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And then you just do it and then you realize a week beforehand that it could be, not only could become like an awful thing, but it could literally set back the entire women's movement and, and ruin everything. And the same thing with a movie. It was like the, one of the worst experiences of my life because I was just like dealing with so much stuff and this could fail and if it fails, I'm gonna ruin his career and her career and I'll never, do, and, and I, but I don't live in that until it happens.
0: Oh, right? what a gift. So
1: I try, I, I do everything I can. <laughs> God. I do everything I can to not think about the possibilities that I could crash and burn until right before. And I think that's the only reason why I've been able to do mm. a bunch of things. Because because I don't have, honestly, in my opinion, a lot of talent. I have a lot of willpower. And I just believe that anything's possible. But I don't have a lot of talent. I don't think natural talent. Not At least nothing like you. Um, okay. How was your roommate? <laughs> Trust me.
0: <laughs> it's true. So My version is that I know when i sign on to do it that it's going to be really difficult and i just go like yeah Yeah. i just try to get my level of um understood like the level of creative pain tolerance is just high and i just kind of live in it all the time at a high level and you know you have friends that work out harder than others and mine is like yeah people are gonna think i'm stupid a decent amount of times and I'm just gonna try to. He's gonna be okay it. with that. You know what I mean.
1: I think for both of us, it's it's we get to the same place, except we just have different processes. Totally. Mine's just like kind of blind optimism until the reality sets in, and then it's just straight depression. Of yeah. Like, <laughs> my wife can tell you, like every time I do a speech or every time I just am constantly putting myself on the razor's edge of failure. Yeah, you are. And you it's so terrifying. And everyone's like, "Oh, it's so oh, Justin that." I'm like, no, "No, no, you don't understand." <laughs> anxiety, like straight up depression sometimes, like this is awful why am I doing this? I would be so much happier if I just owned a restaurant. But in the moment
0: <laughs> but I've seen you, <laughs> you probably will end up doing that. In the moment I've seen you you, you do have, you, you kind of like it. It's like like uh, I've seen you on a video shoot, oh we didn't, someone needs a jacket. It's like oh well, there, there's no jackets here and Justin would be like hold up and just like run up to a door and like knock on the door. Somebody shows up and they're like, "Who's this beautiful man?" He's like, "I need your jacket." (laughs) Then he's like, "Take his jacket." That's like normal for you. You live on the edge, and it pulls out um, like amazing things. It's like my
1: version. I guess it's my version of like uh, being an extreme sport junkie. Like a, but yeah, but it's that's what I'm getting at. I think yes, there's something there for sure where I thrive in. in this kind of pressure that I put on myself to create things. And, yeah. and I, I, I like to think of it like magic, like I love to create magic. And the problem is, is that I believe what allows me to create magic is my connection with spirituality and God and you know all of these things. And my fear, because I don't believe it's really me, is that what if it doesn't show up one day, right? So it's like, okay, I'll pray. And I'm like, okay, I know it's gonna be okay. Uh, it's going to come through me because cause I don't actually have the confidence to do any of this stuff as just Justin. I don't believe for a second that just I can ha- really has anything to give. I think that through me, um, things are channeled and the right words are put into my mouth at the right time. The fear there is that I don't, as Justin, have the confidence but I have confidence in God. And then what if that one day God is too busy doing something else? <laughs> Which I think about all the time. It's like, why does God care about me? Like, look at our world. Um, mm-hmm. But I believe he cares about all well, of us. What's
0: so good about it, one of the reasons I started a podcast is because for me, I used podcasts so much. I, I need to hear on like a weekly basis, people that I respect talk about how much they fail. Mm-hmm. I need to hear it. I need to see it before I, just so that I know when I'm going to start something new, that to be Scared shitless and sure that it's gonna fail is like that's step one. You're there. Good you're job. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You've begun, my friend. Like so, that's why it's really nice to hear you talk about it that way. That every time you go to do something, you're you're just scared. And I'm so happy
1: that you're. And I'm so happy you're doing this because I remember as we were both kind of coming up together and experiencing success at different times, you had said something to me that I always repeat. And you and you and I remember you said that the hardest, the, the, the most difficult part of jumping is just that first like inch off the ground. Yeah. And I don't even know if you remember telling me that, but it it like sunk in and it was just like getting something off the ground. Like getting that first note of a song or like that first idea of something or whatever it is is the hardest part of starting anything because that's where all the resistance happens. Is. That's where gravity is, right? Yeah. And that's and so I'm happy that you're able to like do this and give that to so many people because I got to see you in your room literally singing for hours straight. Like, I remember, I'll never forget, I had just gotten, I had just gotten dumped. <laughs> and I was, I had no home. I was homeless. And I had no money. And I came over and I slept on Andy's couch for like two months. Yeah. As I was trying to get my life together. Anyone who's ever
0: heard the song Miss Me, it was about this gentleman right here.
1: Um, and, then I, and then it was so cool because I got to direct the, the video. video the he directed the video, yeah. That was then my girlfriend got to star in and is now my wife. Yeah, um, So it's like, look at me now. Uh, <laughs> no. A <laughs> uh, little bit. Um, but I'll never forget. Like, I'm sitting there. I brought over my computer. I was editing, like, a music video that I had just directed for, like, five cents. And I was eating, like, n- like whatever 99 cent, like, potato skins at the Ralph's on La Brea. Yep. And Andy was in his room for hours and hours and hours every single day just singing, like, getting Biggest Man down, writing Biggest Man. And, like, every time I hear Biggest Man, I get that little bit of anxiety because I because I go right back to that space, that space. of, like, but I knew, I was blown away. I've never seen anybody work so hard. Mm. And, it, and it was huge for me because it made me realize, like, wow, I haven't put in my 10,000 hours. Like, I haven't, have I ever worked as hard as Andy is working on this song? And I, can, I remember, and then I could hear, like, the beginning of the song and then the end and how it, and, I, and like how it changed and how your voice got changed and got better. And then over the course of the time, I was like, wow, you've really literally mastered your craft, which is so much more than most of us can say.
0: Easy. So it was huge for me. Yeah,
1: yeah. But I know you're never going to feel like you mastered your craft, but like that was a huge thing for me at that time in my life to see you just all day long putting in the work, like uh, as you used to call it, the humble hustle.
0: Humble hustle, baby. Street performer for life. Um, I want to talk about Jane, and how fun it is to be a part of! When you do art for a living, it's still really rare you get to be a part of something that good. Yeah, it's crazy. And and w- w- that came from. How did that come? There's about? no explanation for any of these things that are happening.
1: Okay. I, just, I can't like. It just was. I won the lottery. Yeah, that's really it. <laughs> like, it's you might as well ask. Like, a lot, you might as well it. ask like a lottery like a lottery winner. Like, so what did you do to? I, I bought a ticket. Like. <laughs> I'll never forget. I was I had given up acting, yeah. to focus on directing these documentaries. Um, I was I was for, ran, just gotten married, and uh, and I asked I had no manager or agent, um, and I had asked Emily to introduce me to her manager because they had a directing part of the company. Okay, and of course, like being my wife, she's like, of course, baby, anything. So I went. And I met with them. And I showed them my last days and I showed them all these things. And then they were like, Yeah, we love it. Let's do it. And if you ever want to act, like, you know, we'll send you on an audition or two. And I said, Yeah, that would be amazing. I kind of miss it, like, once a month. And two weeks later, they sent me Jane the Virgin. Wow. And what was crazy was Emily had just auditioned for the role of Petra. And I remember reading, we were in bed and I was reading her audition sides with her. And I was like reading the description of who Raphael was. And like, they described him and I was getting jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if you get this, who's this guy gonna be? Who's this guy? Who's this guy gonna be? (laughs) Never thinking in my ever that that description could ever be me, Yeah, right? And then flash forward, they couldn't find him. Uh, And and somehow it just happened. And then of course it got picked up and then it went to series and then it got picked up again. It became this little, you know, this little lightning in a bottle show that has done so much, I think, for women and women of color and yeah, um, and kind of changing our industry to become so much more intentionally inclusive.
0: And then you, and then you actually got to direct an episode, which is like the craziest <sighs> full circle. I directed awesome. an episode
1: last year, and it was so cool. And what was crazy about it was the episode I directed. So I was supposed to direct the third episode of the season. Yeah. Um, but it was right before our son was born, and it was the son was born. There was the TED talk. It was just everything was nuts, and that was about home birth, which was hilarious because we had this we were very much like home birth advocates in some ways. Yeah. Um, and that didn't work out. So the episode I directed ended up being of course about um Ziamara's cancer storyline. And it was just so sweet that I got to like bring everything that I had learned Yeah. In that world and like transfer it into like this this you know, this show that I love so much. And it was crazy. It's
0: just Amazing. crazy man. God it's, works
1: in crazy ways.
0: Yeah. It's fun to see um I don't know how to say this without being weird. You're, you're good looking, okay? <laughs> and sometimes, I don't just say that from like, I think he's good looking. I, yes, he's very good looking. But when you're friends with someone who's the He's this been good looking, saying
1: this for so long. The first, time, so the first time we
0: met, we hang out. He's like, you want to go to the beach? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and so when you're around him and the way that the world treats oh, him my God. is different than most guys I know. Let's just lay that out there. And so also what happened, I I sat by being a roommate of yours, watching the world cast you and see you as like, you're the hot guy, we get it. And to see you the way that you've now, what you're known for and who you are is just so beautiful Mm. that you're like known as the guy who is, is on Jane, the Virgin did my last days, gave this incredible Ted talk that I want to get into, does the homeless stuff does that you've been able to, it was like a gift and also like a thing that you've had to work through.
1: It's the weirdest thing, because first of all, I don't see myself that way. And as Emily, my wife, can attest, it's a, you know, I even did an episode of Man Enough, we'll talk about on, yeah. the, on, like, body image and dysmorphia. Sure. And, you know, I was bullied as a kid, and I never thought that I was good-looking, and I never, ever thought that I could be an actor, because I associated actors with being, like, my first my first meeting in Hollywood, I was 20 years old, I had this manager who took me to a, to a meeting at an agency, and this agency was known for, like, having all the best-looking people in L.A., Yeah. And I will never forget, it was 20. We left. I was like, that was, I think that was a great meeting. And he told me that he called me the next day. He's like, oh, I want to tell you the feedback. Um, essentially the agent called him and said, you know, I only represent good-looking people. <laughs> he told me that. Yeah, that's messed up. That's for let's like, that's just, but, but he told me, but that was that was my exp. And I didn't for a second go, wait, but I'm, but I am. It was like, oh no, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it wasn't until I moved to Hollywood and they started sending me on roles where the description was like "hot" that I ever thought that that could be true. Yeah. Because it wasn't how I saw myself. You know, my nose grew before everything else. Like, <laughs> you know, I have my eyebrows. Like, it was just, you know, I. It was but the just, first,
0: it, like, the beginning roles you got were, were that, right? Were, were what? Were were, were like hot guy with shirt Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Like male escort number one. Yeah. Um, and, and then from my (laughs) position watching you, it's like, cool, that's not who he is though. So that's not going to work. And what's funny about it is that, and it's not who I am, but I think that that's something that
1: I've realized now is that that's not who any of us are. Totally. Like, and, and that's, that's kind of one of the ways I realized that there was an issue in my opinion with masculinity, because I started realizing I was being cast as these individuals. And then I started realizing that, oh my God, wait, in my in my personal life too? I'm also playing these roles um but anyways yeah so Oh, no, yeah. that
0: that leads me into what i want to talk about this the, the ted talk is unbelievable if you haven't heard his ted talk if you're a guy if you're a girl both sides need to hear it it's unbelievable it's a talk about masculinity just like in general and you want it, to give a little it bit was of
1: the absolute ter- most terrifying thing it I've was you, you nailed it
0: it was it was awesome it was
1: so scary i remember yeah. i was i remember texting you just telling you how terrified I was, and saying I
0: was like, "Please send your mom." But it kind of Please. came out. It kind of came out of some of those gatherings that we were having, right?
1: Yeah, I think it came out of a lot of stuff. It came out of, you know, some from the proposal and like this, the reaction of when I proposed to Emily, and they went super viral, and and people couldn't believe that a man. I guess that looked the way that I did or that seemed... would be willing to make that much of a fool of himself or dance or sing or get mm. rejected. You know, because I was really making fun of myself throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And then I remember being at the gym I was, uh, when I lived in Hollywood over there on Easton's and this huge big buff guy came up to me afterwards. He's like, hey, you proposed your wife? <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. Made me cry, dude. Oh, sick. And, and then but he <laughs> did it in like this kind of super secret way where he didn't want anyone else to hear, like, God yeah. forbid he cried. And I realized, like, why do we have to, as men, love these things in secret? And why is it so weird for so many women to like see a man? And and what I saw was so many women putting me on a pedestal that I did not deserve to be on. Um, and I went, there's a problem here. Why, why are we looking at this thing that I did or me as the like exception? to the rule when in reality like I know so many amazing dudes that would do that for their wives or different things for their wives. And I know so many open men and I hear so many women constantly say like, where are all the good men? And I'm like, there's so many good men. <laughs> Why are you hiding good men? Why are you pretending to not be good men? Uh. And I think that was like the beginning of my exploration of figuring out like, what the hell's wrong? There's something that's not adding up. And I don't know if it's like this idea that nice guys can't win or we're not supposed to be nice guys, or we're afraid, you know, like we've, been, we've also been socialized to like not cry and not show our emotions. And I know you and I are very, like, we're a little bit of an exception there. But
0: even when I do cry, I still the whole time, my body, I've now got my head to the place where I'm like, I'm cool, cry. Yeah. But my body still goes like, no, 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 don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> You're betraying my head, your species. My head literally is like, it's fine, body, like chill out, just cry. Yeah. And the body's like, I don't know how was that
1: same thing it's, and I, maybe it's like I don't know if it's like this for you and like your dad is an example but you know I'm now a dad and I'm holding my son and I want to like smother him and kiss him and all these things and now you know I'm 34 years old and I have these moments where my mind is like go cuddle with your dad and my body is like don't move <laughs> or like I want to just and sometimes even with me and another man like we're good friends like just looking the other man in the eye for more than like 10 seconds or five yeah. seconds, or while you're talking, it's hard for some reason. And there's no explanation for why, except that we have been socialized to feel uncomfortable being intimate with each other. Um, and intimacy is a whole big topic, but with men, like men are so afraid to be vulnerable with each other. We're so afraid to open up and show our weaknesses because again, we're like we grow up thinking that we have to be the alphas. We grow up thinking that like we have to grow up and like be the the leader of our tribe and the king of the castle and we have to do all these things. And if we show another man, God forbid that we're struggling or that we're addicted to something or that we're weak in one area or that we're or we don't have any money and we don't know how to pay rent then our like entire gender is gonna disown us and we're not gonna be able to like <laughs> it's like those are the stakes are that high. They which that is out. one of the reasons why male suicide is so much higher. Uh. Like it's it's a it's a it is growing. It's because we don't know how to seek help and we'd rather figure it out ourselves. And we learn that generationally. We learn that from our dads, who learned it from their dads, who learned it from their dads. And now it's like we're realizing that doesn't work for us anymore. And there's space and there's room for fluidity. Um, so that was all part of it. And that was all part of my, and my whole TED Talk was just me having this kind of like open crisis in front of like millions of people that was like, I don't know who I am. Yeah. And I, but I'm, I can tell you I've never been man enough and I probably won't ever be man enough. So why am I even trying to be man enough? Like what does man enough even mean? Yeah. And some of my favorite qualities about myself are the stereotypically feminine ones. And you know, I just, I
0: just think it's all weird. It's awesome and you really took like a, I don't know whether, yeah, I think you, we started at your house where we would go and sit with a bunch of guys in your living room. And even just the, the question, uh, what does it mean to you to be a man? Sitting with like 20 other dudes yeah. together is a very profound question. And where did you learn what a man is? Hearing everybody answer it and before you know it, everybody's like uncovering some crazy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> but they're like, oh, well, I learned it from my dad did this thing, so I think this, you know. But it's really, it's, it's like important work to be done. And then you have this whole other, like the Man Enough um, round, the, the, the take, show, the yeah. show on, online is awesome too. That's also important. And just
1: we wanted to model like deep, intimate conversations with men. And I don't know, I really believe if, the, if we can fix the masculine issue, if we can fix the, like, the issue that men have with each other, I think we can fix every problem that exists in the world. <laughs> I can't think mm. of an issue that start that doesn't start with in some way like us. And that's a weird thing, I know, but like I can't think of like a massive like world issue. Yeah. Like, you know, and it, it's probably stupid, and, you know, I, I don't know. I just can't imagine a world a world run by women where like we would conquer each other and just kill everybody for, you know, for like money. Yeah. Like I just I can't imagine that world. I think that so much of that is rooted in like this this I this masculine idea that we have to win everything and,
0: and everything. You, you know so how do we fix it so this one is, of the things you've done to me is you will text me and saying you're going through something which i appreciate i haven't done it yet <laughs> it's bullshit <laughs> i i go through plenty of things yeah and i haven't reached out to you it's, yeah again
1: it's, i think i don't know why we look man Rumi says it's like, it's not for us to seek for love, but to seek the reasons why we build up all the barriers against it, right? It's like this, I don't know why we build up these barriers and we make it so hard for ourselves to like do the simplest, easiest things. And it comes back to we have been trained to, to like say that we cannot ask for help. That's the only thing that it comes. We've been socialized to be the lone ranger, to be the Marlboro man, to be like yeah. the guy that runs off, like rides off on the horse in this, into, into the sunset, like in the western. And we we don't know how to do it, and we feel like if we do it, we're betraying our gender or something. It's, it's the weirdest
0: we- thing. It's funny to watch. We uh, we've done it at my house too, yeah. where we had like 30 guys in a circle, yeah, doing like talking about this, and certain people that are not open to it yet, you can watch them come in and go like, I feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like this. And then like an hour in, they're the sweetest ones that have things to share. want to open up and talk. And say. It's almost like a cliche of itself at this point. So it's, it's, it is, but it's just true. It's just there that got, that there are a lot of guys that have trouble with that first barrier of, of being like, but that's the whole thing is that how do we actually connect with but each other? We, but I have trouble too. Yeah. and you have trouble and i don't think there's any
1: man that doesn't have trouble and that's what that's one of the things that's important for me to say is yeah i'm the guy that did the TED talk and i'm the guy that has the man enough show but i am not uh, an exception here i am struggling with the exact same things as every single one of my male friends the difference is is i'm like making myself uncomfortable so that i can be better Yeah, like i'm i'm literally using this this fake idea of fame so that i can try to become a better man because it pushes <laughs> it puts the pressure on myself Like, you know, I can't, I have to try. It's so much easier to just, like, accept that things are the way they are and to just become complacent. So I'm literally just on the edge saying, all right, this sucks. Every time I look in the mirror, I feel like shit. I should probably talk about it because somebody else feels the same way. And then you realize that, Everybody feels the same way. Everybody. Even the guys that are posting the shirtless pictures of themselves every day on Instagram that make me feel inadequate. Yeah. They feel the same way. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the gym all the time doing it. <laughs> like, but nobody, nobody realizes that. It's like this, this, these fake ideals that we just make ourselves believe are okay. In reality, we're all trying to just figure out how to get through. We're all trying to just figure
0: out how to make ourselves feel like we are good enough.
1: And like, that's an important thing. So that's what, that's, I guess that's
0: what I'm just trying to do. I love it. Um, talk to me about, we both have a very unique love for the, um, helping the homeless. And your carnival love of love is the, one of the coolest things. It's like one of my favorite things ever. Well, it's coming up soon. January 26th. January 26th. Yes. Do you have too many volunteers already? No. no. Well, I mean,
1: we yes, but it's, a totally, it's totally okay. Okay. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. <laughs> to sign up.
0: So let's talk about it first before we tell them that. So, what,
1: so the Carnival of Love is a day of human kindness. Is it your birthday? Uh, it, it was started around It started my around your birthday. Yeah. Um, the true story is that the Carnival of Love would not exist if it were not for my friendship with Andy Grammer. So the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the last five years, would, they would have not been helped and seen and heard in love had it not been for you. Jesus. Because one day... You decided on your birthday to make food for the homeless and you invited all of us over and then we made and then you passed them out. And I thought, that's it. That's what I've been wanting to do forever. That was like twelve years ago. So then <laughs> you
0: showed up with the McDonald's. you remember that? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then uh We like all we like made all these. <laughs> I mean, I was so poor. <laughs> we <were> so poor. <laughs> I was so poor. We made these um like really cheap. I went to Ralph's and got like Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I'm telling Justin about it, and <laughs> Justin's like, "Oh my god, totally!" So then Justin shows up with like badass McDonald's, <laughs> like a bunch for everybody. It was I amazing. Bought, we bought you know, it was like yeah. fifty went dollar menu crazy. Yeah, it went
1: dollar menu yeah. crazy at McDonald's.
0: That's another. That's the first level of wealth. <laughs> when when you're really poor, then you get to go to like a Taco Bell or a McDonald's, yeah. and you go to everybody like get whatever you want. Everybody get you want. Let's <laughs> do it. Yeah,
1: so true. But, but I remember that moment because I was never one for birthdays, I was always like, I felt uncomfortable saying, come celebrate me. And it was like, it clicked for me like this. It was like you doing that, it, was, it opened up my eyes and I went, that's it, that's me. That's exactly what I need to do. And that's what I wanna do from now on. And so every year I started doing it and I started inviting friends and we, it t- turned into a bigger thing and a bigger thing and 30 people and then 40 people and then Quite a big 70 thing people. And then when Jane the Virgin happened, Knowing kind of the way that Hollywood works and like this perceived idea of coolness based on whether or not you're on a show or you have followers or a celebrity, I said, well, why don't we try and experiment and see if we can use it to like get people to show up to Skid Row. So we created this carnival. I was like, what if we threw a carnival? Carnivals are generally things that come to pretty, like, you know, middle American towns to, like, give them a day of, like, forgetting that life is hard. Yeah. And, you know, you eat really shitty food and, like, go on, a, you know, you go on things that make you then throw up the shitty food. And, yeah. like, and I was like, well, what if we could do it better? So we created this carnival, and the idea was really, like, this kind of groupthink effort where it's like, okay, let's get as many people as we can to show up Bring clothes, bring food, bring hygiene products, bring books, bring anything that you Mm. don't need in your life anymore. Bring it, but that's not going to change anything. What's going to change things are the way you interact with the person you give it to. So we thought, let's create a day where it's just, you know, all of us are going to see, we're going to hear, and we're going to love on these people that are so often forgotten. Um, You know, Abdul Baha in the Baha'i faith, he says tell the rich of the midnight sighing of the poor. And like, it was such a profound thing. Like here we are in the hotel cafe, we're all doing okay. But like just a few blocks away and even outside there are people that have nothing, that at night when we're sleeping in our beds are sighing because they just are struggling, whether it's with addiction, whether they're on the street for because of their own choice or whether it's because they don't have anybody else. or they were born that way and it's perpetual. Um, So we thought if we can just love people, then that could be, like, the other part of a solution. You know, politics aside, like, you got to fix things through legislation. You need enough housing for the homeless, number one. But they also need to be seen and they need to be loved. So that first year was an experiment. It was awesome. And then it grew and it grew and it grew. And as my, like, you know, D-list celebrity grew, so did the carnival. And... (laughs) And now it's become this pretty incredible thing where we had, like last year, we had 180 different service providers from LA. Like we became a hub for all the nonprofits who are competing with each other, that don't talk to each other, to show up in one place and provide services that these amazing people Can't get otherwise, so it's like a it's like a job fair, medical fair, dental fair. People are getting IDs. There's like IDs because that's one of the things you can't get off the street unless you have an ID, but you can't get an ID unless you have money to get to the ID, and or all of these different things. We're trying to just solve some of these problems for them, but more than that, it's a one-on-one experience where you get paired up with somebody that. You may probably never meet, or just ignore, or walk by in like an everyday kind of situation, and you get to talk to that person and hear that that person is human, just like you. Yeah. And maybe through that experience, friendships can be born, and that's how we can get people off the street. Yeah. But it one of the have sweetest things is there's you.
0: a foot washing station, mm-hmm. and there's so sweet to see. Even uh, you know, friends of mine, or I got to do it as well. to like sit with someone who's homeless, and and you're literally below them. While you're washing their feet it's a beautiful beautiful thing i mean but it, it comes from the bible it's like jesus did that yeah like
1: you know and, and again i keep going back to like our faith and the by faith the highest place you could ever get to is the lowest is what we're told yeah and like there's nothing more beautiful than sitting down and washing somebody's feet who has not been touched in god knows how long and like talking to them and seeing them cry And just experiencing that with them. And and this was the first year that actually Emily Emily and I got to do it because the last four years we hadn't been able to. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so our goal this year is we're trying something totally different. Okay. And we're going to look for 100 people. And those 100 people we're going to ask to commit to one year of being friends with one person that they meet on the street.
0: Awesome. And I'm going to raise
1: a little bit of money and I'm going to give each of those one people a little Visa card and they can only spend it on that person that they meet for something that person needs.
0: I'm in. And to help, so how can I help? Because we yeah. So we're going to okay. try,
1: we're going to try this experiment because okay. I believe that I want to see what kind Is can there a happen. place that
0: people that are listening can donate to this thing?
1: Uh, uh, Skid, Row By the Car- time. Skid Row Carnival of Love dot org. Carnival, uh, is- Skid Row Carnival of Love dot org. Okay, cool. And we're going to see what happens if these, like, if these hundred people go to the carnival with an open heart and an open mind to make a friend and to just stay in touch with that person for a year. And how many of those people can get off the street? So we don't awesome. know what's going to happen, but that's a scalable thing that yeah. I believe we can take anywhere. And that's like, oh, that's how change really happens.
0: Okay, now I want to I chat with you because you're so awesomely open about it in a way that I have been not as open um, about it, which is the Baha'i faith. Yeah. You are amazing at it. My thing, especially being someone who writes music, I just never want anyone to ever think that I'm trying to push something on them. I'm like super freaked out and sensitive about it. Because anytime you hear any music and then you hear, like, oh, that's like a faith thing, you know, it's a faith thing, your head goes like, oh, I'm either on the team or I'm not on the team. Yeah. And so I've watched you be so um, open. And uh, is there any fear about being open with your faith?
1: Well, I think I grew up with fear because I was always the only Baha'i. So I was always the minority. Like, I grew up in a really born again Christian town in Oregon and i remember like coming home crying cuz the kids were like you're you're going to burn in hell like do you realize that you're going to burn in hell <laughs> like justin like we love you you're a really good guy but yeah. we don't want you to burn in hell yeah like these were real things that were you know that you'd go to sleep like thinking there was something wrong with you because of the faith that you followed yeah and um you know it, it was it's it was it was a beautiful thing for me I, to this day i've never had a drink of alcohol um and if it were not for the faith, that definitely wouldn't be the case. Sure. Um, you have a was... brief explanation of what the Baha'i Faith is. So, the Baha'i Faith is the, is the most recent of the world religions. Essentially, uh, we believe that God is an unknowable essence. Like, he's not some guy in the sky with a beard. Um, he is exalted, she, it is exalted beyond human comprehension. We're finite beings. So we cannot ever comprehend the infinite. We could never comprehend something that is like big enough to create the universe because we don't even know how big the universe is. Yeah. Um, and this basically, the Baha'i Faith just tells us that we're all one. Like the foundation of every religion in the history of the world is love. And from the beginning of time, God has sent different teachers to help us, like nudge us along as we keep forgetting our purpose to get us to a place of unity and to finally get us to love each other. And that's really all the faith is. It's all about service to mankind and love. Um, It's the root of why I do everything that I do. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason I've been so comfortable talking about it is because I've realized that if it were not for that faith that grounds me, I would be such a mess and none of this would exist. Mm. None of this would exist. My exploration of what happens when we die, the masculinity and like the true equality of women and men, like my work and why I'm trying to be of service... Um, like it's been the thing that has grounded me when nothing else can. Because look, dude, I got a big ego. I've like, just like everybody else, like I'm, you know, I'm very animalistic in in nature. Um, I'm like, uh, I'm trying my best to like be quick to listen and slow to anger, but my past has always been like quick to anger and then apologizing after I say something that I shouldn't have said. (laughs) And, you know, like even something as simple as Abdul Baha saying, use words as mild as milk. That to me, that little tiny thing goes, oh, okay, I can get that. You grasp that, you know, Um, to see no man as friends or to see no man as strangers, but to see all men as friends, like these like little things, it's just, it's like a toolkit for me. Yeah. And it's why I think I've even had any success. So for me to not talk about it um, would be like to not talk about my wife. Totally. Um, but that said, I'm not a musician. <laughs> and oh, I don't. It's a yeah. little bit different for me. It's because- not
0: that different. It's, it's really like I think we just live in a time where everybody's just nervous to have these conversations. It's scary. So I made this whole fucking podcast <laughs> 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 to like force uh, myself and people that I love and it. that I'm so interested in to be like, okay, there's a lot of really interesting things about being alive that none of us talk about. Yeah. Why not? But you that's
1: know? also that's but what, that's what, so you're doing the exact same thing, which yeah. I was talking about earlier, which is you're creating something so that you can become better, yeah. So that you can like dive in and become better, totally. and, and yeah, I think that's what it's all about. It's also a really scary time in general to talk about anything, yeah. <laughs> like if you can think about it, it's like a scary time to have a, an opinion about anything,
0: anything, because
1: there is somebody somewhere with keyboard courage that's going to tell you you're an idiot. Yeah, it's just True. it's just the world that we're living in. And I think that it's important to be brave and to have an opinion and to talk about things, but to do it in a way that is unifying and to shut your mouth when it's not. Like, it's yeah. like it doesn't, you know, there's no re- I don't need to say something for the sake of saying it. If there's an issue that needs to be said, then of course I need to say it. Or if there's some burning thing in my, but I don't want to ever just talk for the sake of talking sure. or to express something for the sake of expressing something. There's so many more, there's so many amazing, elo- eloquent people out there that can do that. Yeah. I don't need to. For me, the faith is, I'm just grateful for it. You know, it's it saved my life in so many different ways. And so that's why, I, that's why I talk
0: about it. Awesome, man. Okay, let's hit you with some of these questions that I hit everybody with her, my favorite. What is the most spiritual experience you've ever had? Let's get weird.
1: <laughs> um, I think there's a couple of them. I think one of them was watching my daughter be born. That was probably it. And what was so interesting is another one was definitely watching somebody pass. Mm. And I've realized they're the same thing. Because when my daughter was born and she came through and I was the first person to hold her and pray for her and touch her, uh, I realized in that moment that that was not the last time I was gonna do that. And that was the most spiritual experience I think of my life. Because one day when I'm gone and she's coming through wherever she's going, I'm gonna be right there doing the
0: exact same thing. Oh, that's cool. Um, Yeah, that's really good. Uh, Um, Everyone got really quiet. That's (laughs) that's good. (laughs) Um, Money. Tell me what's awesome about money and what's the worst about money.
1: What's awesome about money is that it allows you to, if you use it correctly... It allows you to impact a lot of people. It allows you to affect and make a difference in a bigger way. It allows you to amplify um, anything good that you were trying to do before you had money, um, and it gives you resources uh, to to like to truly make uh, to truly make a difference. It makes things s- slightly easier, and at the same time, it makes things. Uh, much harder. So what's bad about it? What's bad about it is that I think it is the, it is one of the greatest tests that um, we could ever have in life because it's meaningless. (laughs) But yet it's everything at the same time. It's a necessary thing, but yet it's absolutely meaningless. And all you have to do is look through history to see that every single king and ruler and sultan, every billionaire, they wind up being buried right next to somebody that had nothing. And we spend our lives accumulating and trying so hard to make money, and we can't take it with us. Even though some Egyptian you know, <laughs> pharaohs have been buried with their treasures, <laughs> can't use it wherever we're going, um, even if, if it's my version or the black version, right? Um, and I think that it is the thing that, uh, that can lead, literally, to the downfall of civilization. It can lead to, like, materialism itself is the opposite of spirituality. And I think that in our lives, we're here to figure out how we can go from our lower nature to our higher nature. And money inherently, like, there's something about it that just drops into your lower nature. This feeling of, oh, I need it. Or what if it goes away? Or am I going to be okay without it? Or all of these things are not real it's the, like the vain imaginings it's what i talked about like the mirage it's literally a mirage and all it does is it, it just amplifies what's already there so like if you're a selfless person without money god willing you'll be a selfless person with money um
0: but yeah it's a big test yeah what's the biggest myth that you've had to overcome about yourself That you like like a core belief about yourself that you've been able to shift he asked for these uh He he was texting me. He's like, yo, send me the questions before. Yeah, I
1: was like, send me something. I was like, send me, me, what are you going to ask me, dude? Mm -hmm. Um, The biggest myth I've had to overcome about myself, uh, probably that I'm worthy of being loved for who I am. I think I spent so long growing up in these places just feeling like I had to change, like that I wasn't okay as me. And I just didn't know if I'd ever really find somebody that loved me. For just like the mess that I am, like, and then I found my wife who does. Yeah. And and I think that like I'm still trying to figure out how that's even happened and how that's possible. <laughs> um, and like even today we were driving over here. I was like, baby, thank you for coming to this, like, and for actually wanting to be here because we live together and we're married. And I'm just gonna go talk for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and. And I don't know, I just, yeah, I think, I think like being worthy of like being truly loved and like having like the, like the shitty parts of myself loved,
0: mm. that's awesome. Yeah. Um, this can be anything. It can be one thing you love and one thing you hate. It can be like deep or silly or whatever you want. One thing you love, like you love and one thing you hate. I, this is
1: a, I mean, there's so many things that I love. This is a random thing that just popped in my head. I love moments when two people are in a conversation or something happens and like a, and, and like a, uh, a truth bomb is dropped and then the hairs stick up on my yeah. arms. Like I love moments where you're, 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 you're going deep enough that your body reacts to like <laughs> whatever it is that you're talking about and your eyes start to water and you're like, yeah, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. That's uh, truth. I love those kind of moments as it happens to me right thick. now. And one thing I hate, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I hate when people get so mad when they're driving, (laughs) because I don't like. I just like I hate when I'm trying. I hate when I'm like trying to like get turn like get into the like a lane, and someone sees me and they just don't let me in, and then I look over and I'm like and they they know that I'm looking at them and they just on purpose pretend like I don't, I'm not exist and then they just drive by yeah. and then there's that really awkward moment when you pull up to them because you're eventually going to meet them anyways and then I'm the kind of person that like, likes to look over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I just don't get it. Like, why spread that? Like, yeah. what? I, that's, that, I hate that. Yeah. I just don't, I hate road rage because yeah. it's not that big of
0: a deal. It's not, big deal. It's
1: not that big of a deal.
0: Um... I think I've even said on this podcast, right, my biggest hate is when, because I'm at a lot of mini marts touring, (laughs) is when I look them in the eye and I'm like, can I use your bathroom? They're like, we don't have one. I'm like, (laughs) you definitely have one. (laughs) This is so messed up. And it happens to me a lot. So I hate that. Okay. Um. (laughs) Finally, why are we here? Why are we here? Yeah.
1: We are here to generation by generation uh, improve on ourselves and each other to create, like, an ever-advancing civilization that can one day live in peace. And so that our kids or our great-grandkids or our great-grandkids can live in a world where um, they don't have to worry about food insecurity or... Um, plastic filling up the ocean, or um, politics and hate and, you know, people being killed just because of their skin color, or there isn't a, a part of the world where people have less and that there are famines so that we can one day pass down a civilization that takes care of each other. And I think that the only way that can happen is if those of us that are alive right now wake up and realize that, like, our purpose here is to love. And our purpose here is to like raise kids that see unity and that despite their differences love each other. Um, and that's a pretty big task yeah <laughs> um, but like what more fruitful like what more fruitful thing to leave behind than like a generation that understands that peace is the goal? yeah Good dude, right. I love you so much,
0: man. Uh, I this love is so you. cool Thank that you we get to have a conversation this. like this. Such a great, great time. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Thank you, guys. Um, so, yeah, we do. If anybody has uh, any questions, uh, please, we're going to set this up right here. And you can, I guess, because, I don't know. Yeah, you can just come up and ask it. And if you do, we have these sweet-ass mugs. So for every person that asks a question, you will get a Good Parts podcast Ooh, mug. Can I take one home, too? Yeah, you get one, too. Uh, does anybody have a question? Please come on up. Yeah. Sean Hill. <laughs> Easily. I love you guys. What up? So, you know what? I've actually been wanting to ask you both for a while this. I've known you guys for years. The thing is, you both don't
1: like compliments, right? Is there anything like, <laughs> you both get like so weird when someone compliments you or like the worthiness, right? You talked about earlier, that was beautiful. So is there
0: anything that you would recommend to people on how to accept those things better? Or anything that have worked for you that mm. kind of you, you let it resonate more? Or those moments you're like, you know what? I'm going to do my best to receive that. I'm so curious. Love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go? I, uh, this just happened on tour. I, I encourage everyone to do this. Before every show, I have a backup singer whose father was a preacher. And usually he huddles us up and gives us this awesome like pep talk um getting ready to go do a show. And this tour specifically, he made each one of us sit in a chair, and then the other six band members would do what you're talking about. They would say, they'd look you in the eye, and they'd be like, these are the things that I see about you that I love about you, that I really appreciate about you. And it was so hard to sit there. Like, again, my, my mind is like, There's, there shouldn't be nothing wrong with this. Why can't I accept love? Like, am I that messed up? That I can't just, basically someone's going like, I love you, and I'm going like, no! <laughs> um, but... <laughs> I don't have any advice of how to do it. All I know is that it is worth the battle to, to fight through it. Because what's so sweet about it is the next day then someone else is in the chair and the only thing I want to do is tell them how sweet they are and how much I love them and tell them how they, I appreciate them and uh, all they do for me and, and make sure that they understood, understand that they're, they're seen and they're heard. Um, so I got nothing as far as like how to do it, but you must force yourself to do it. What do you got?
1: I think, yeah, I've always been really bad at accepting compliments, but really good at giving them. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, that's Sean Hill, who's an amazing spoken word. Yeah, he's artist. great. He's the um, best. Check him out.
0: So, uh, I don't know. Can you get that man a mug, man? I,
1: yeah, give get him a, him a mug. <laughs> I. <laughs> okay,
0: got it. Right. Okay, we're good. I think,
1: I, I think that I think that it's important that we figure out how to accept compliments, but I think it's almost more important that we just make sure that we also give them. Um, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if as human beings, we'll ever get to a place where we just believe everything good about ourselves. And I don't necessarily even know if that's a good thing. I can tell you right now, like, having Instagram and having my DMs, like, possibly open, if I believed the thousands of positive things people said about me, I would, you couldn't fit my head in this room. Yeah, Like, you just couldn't. And so I think there's a beautiful thing about also just saying thank you, but I don't know if that's true. That might be your perception. Now, it's it's also not good when you don't believe anything good about yourself, but yeah. I think that there's a balance. I think that you like, think this
0: is a man-girl thing or no man-woman thing. I think it's a human thing. It's a human thing. I think it's a human thing. Yeah. I don't know
1: if I know anybody that believes every good thing about themselves. And you know, and we're all just trying to figure it out. But I do wish I was a little bit better at like, you know, just taking it in for like more than five seconds because right. what I it just goes in one ear and out the other. Yeah. And then, but if you pin me down and you say those things, I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but we do that too we do that every year for like birthdays and things like yeah. we, like for you know my wife's last birthday and our friends last. like we just have everybody surround and like say all the things about that person. I dare you but, all do that it's do amazing it, do it with somebody does yeah, anybody or, else have a question or just text somebody that you yeah. love
0: oh we got one she's right here okay. Hi. hello how you doing I'm good how are you good
1: um so I actually work in politics and uh we're a generally progressive organization so we are about kind of like spreading love and equality and making sure that people have the rights that they deserve. But like you were saying, there is just so much hate in the world sometimes. So how do you recommend bridging that divide? How do you show people that we are all the same? And like you said, the color of your skin doesn't matter. And that whether you're from one part of the world or another, that we all deserve health care and to be healthy and happy and have a family who loves us. Mm. I unfortunately don't think it could ever be solved by politics because politics are by nature divisive even though they're supposed to be unifying and if you look at our current political system um, and even if you look at the last election it it's just so clear that we're moving farther apart until we can start to see each other as friends and as humans and as brothers and sisters and still we until we can start to like, you know, uh, see a mother who can't afford to take care of her children, and instead of just watching that on the news, call and do something about it. Until we, until we can actually like feel empathy, right? Then you could do. We could. We could have all the you know female presidents and black presidents and all you know Latina presidents and everything that we want. You're always going to have people on opposite sides that like ideologically don't agree with each other. And the only way that divide can ever like, like continue to be shortened is if people listen to each other. And no one's listening. Nobody's, you, it, it's impossible, right? To both speak and listen at the same time. That's an Abdul baha quote. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just speaking. And everyone's waiting for their chance to speak while the other person's speaking. And so nobody's listening. And until like you can get two people together and realize that like, you know, wait, we're the same? whether someone has money or doesn't. And that's another thing about money is money is so directly related to politics right now. Like, I think half of it is just about money. Mm. Like, because we're so, we're all attached to it or we're not attached to it. It's just like, there's plenty of money to go around if we just all wake up and realize that we're brothers and sisters and we're humans. Um, And so that's my big thing is like listening. You know, that's why I don't ever talk about politics. I don't come out with a political viewpoint. I don't come out and talk about endorsing parties. I don't do any of that because I think at its core no matter how progressive somebody is or how much I agree, there's going to be a whole group of people that don't. And I always want to be able to talk to both sides because the things that we're talking about right now are not political. They're human. They're just human. Feminism, masculinity, all these things are not political. They're human. We all, we all need to like be open. And I don't know. So I think it comes down to like creating songs like Andy creates, the good, you know, like the good parts or shows like I'm working on or You know, television and film, like, trying to find ways to, like, bridge the gap and show that we're all the same. Those types of things are super helpful.
0: Um, Uh, I I salute anyone in any field that is attempting to bring light. So whatever that means to you, like, keep pushing in any area. I think that uh, the, the quote that's coming to my head is, the essence of faith is fewness of words and abundance of deeds. I think it's just a lot about just like in your sphere of influence, how can you bring as much light as you possibly can?
1: And there's one more tiny thing. It's also necessary, right? And like politics are necessary. Like Emily and I on the way here, were talking about how God, like what about all the moms that don't have any help? Like she was just talking about all the moms in the world that like, have no help. Here we are, we have some money and we have a nanny, but what about all the moms that don't? Like and all the people that don't have health care or childcare, and in Sweden, as an example, where she's from, there's all these, like they pay for you to have daycare, all these things. There's politics there, unfortunately. So it's a necessary evil. So, but at the same time, we have to figure out like how to, how to make that not like just a party, right? It's gotta be universal. Like we all have to realize like, you know, doesn't matter what our core beliefs are, like we can sit here and
0: realize that we're both human. Great question, thank you so much. We got a couple more. Uh, Yeah, what do you got? He's on it with the mugs. You got the mug. (laughs) Uh, Thank you both so much. This conversation has, I feel fed today, so thank you. Uh, uh Uh, So I'm a mom, I have two little boys. And uh, through both of your work, it comes across so clear that your hearts are just so strong and open. And so I'm wondering, as you think back your own mother specifically, is there anything that sticks out to you that they did that helped oh, shit. nourish that in <laughs> you? There you go. I would love to hear that. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. Andy's mom. You go ahead. Go f- no, 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 no,
0: no, 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 no. <laughs> go for it. You no, take man. first. No, man. This is all you. Um, your, your, your question is like, what did, my, what did my mom do? She's... Um, Wrote most
1: of his albums.
0: Yeah. <laughs> my mother... She was, like, really into... Uh, it's funny because I was, I was with my daughter this morning, right? She wakes up mad early. So I was with her from, like, 6 to 9 a.m. And I was thinking we put on, like, some stupid kid's show. And we're watching it, and I'm going like, this isn't the best use of my time with you. Turned it off, and I just started thinking like, oh, okay, it's my job to cr- like help pull out the weeds of you and, and make sure that you are someone that's fantastic. And my mom was just really good at um fostering these this side of myself. I remember hearing her like she was she would always make sure that I was going to some spiritual retreat or that. Um, there was just a lot of thought and planning going into how my heart was at all times, mm. right? And I know how lucky that is. A lot of times that's not the case. And I always think with my career, with anything that I've ever done, my mom built this like invisible city where other people will like do things um, physically. They'll put brick by brick and make something that everyone else can see, which is like a huge building, some sort of architecture my mom spent tireless hours uh, making me, you know. So, and she did an amazing job, man. Oh, thank you. So, wherever she is in the next place, um I, and I carry myself knowing like, oh my god, I'm her building. I better like show up, you know. We got.
1: You got a pretty cool your mom. One too. Was amazing, dude. And she and the thing about your mom is that you it's so clear she's still building that city like with you. Mm-hmm. Like, you can just see it. Like and like clearing out like other crappy houses around you like before you, <laughs> <laughs> you're like you're building your invisible city, and she's just like, no, that one's ugly. I don't want that one there. Like, yeah. get that one out. You got to protect my son. I just know she's doing that. Yeah. She helped me in my TED talk too. I straight up talked to your mom before my TED All talk. Time. I was like, oh my god, please, Kathy. Um, my mom was my mom was a my mom's like a spiritual warrior as well. Um, I'll never like my childhood can be best. Described, My mom would tell me, this is straight up. She would say, okay, Justin, all your friends, they're on, like, eight-lane highways. Like, they can just, like, go from one lane to the other and, like, (laughs) yeah, it's all good. Like, they'll be fine. They can, like, break the rules or they can do drugs or whatever they want. And there's, like, no consequences. And it's great. Their lives are great. But you, my son, (laughs) you're on a two-lane highway and there's traffic coming in the other direction. And when you decide to go off, you can if you want, but you have more responsibility because you know your purpose. You know why you're here. So you can go off, but you know there's other cars coming, and you might crash. But just know when you crash that that's a learning experience for you to get you back on your path, which you know, right? And I was like, why the hell would you tell me this is like a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old? And like every, th- every time in my life when all my friends were out drinking or partying or toilet papering people's houses, if I ever tried to do anything, I would get caught. Like the first day I got my driver's license, like just speeding and like going crazy, like turned, there was an undercover cop behind me the entire time. Like it's just been my entire life. Every time I've just wanted to be like the other kids, there was just like a spiritual thing that always like kept me on path. And I'm so grateful, although I was resentful for many years for that, because then I was like, no mom, now I'm creating that for myself, you know? Um, She always was just there to remind me of my potential as a spiritual human being, which is something that is so rare today. Like not about like my my potential to be a great artist or a soccer player, all the things that I was like materially interested in, she was there to remind me of like my spiritual capacity. And our moms were very similar in that way, in that invisible city. And I'm super grateful for that because that's still in the back of my head. It's still there in everything that I do. And if it were not for my mom, who was my first educator, who taught me my faith, there's no chance I'd be sitting here with you, man. Mm. Great question.
0: Got through it. Woo! (laughs) Yes. Thanks, sweetheart. Hi. Okay, hi guys. Hey. It is very clear that you guys are both powerhouse givers. That's a big part of who you are—is giving, giving, giving—and I just want to challenge you just a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh Renee Brown, Renee Brown, who I'm a big fan of, Renee Brown. says, She's great. She's "Right, amazing. we all love Renee. Love we it. all love Renee." Um, says, um. We, oh shoot, now I'm going to blow it. I've been practicing it over there. It's okay. Um, Until we can receive with an open heart, we're never truly giving with an open heart. Mm -hmm. When we attach judgment to receiving help, we knowingly or unknowingly attach judgment to giving help. So I want to challenge you guys to, first of all, do you believe that? And second of all, can you give an example of a time that, you had to get out of yourself and your pride, especially where you're in a position where you can be givers all the time and accept help even though it challenged you? Mm. Let me think of the time.
1: Well, yeah, so first, I mean, I, I think I talked about, one. Of, I mean, just with Andy, there were two times already, I think, on this podcast I've talked about um, accepting the help. Uh, you know, when he, when I accepted his, when I, when I cast that $500 check that he gave me um, when I had nothing, that was another, that was a big moment. Cause I was like, you know, cause I had had, I remember there was a time when I, even in my early twenties, when I had experienced success that I could have helped everybody. And I, and I did, that's probably why my money went out so fast. <laughs> um, but accepting that help was huge. And then again, the second time when I called him and I was, I'll never forget, like when this girl had broken up with me <laughs> and uh, which is kind of ridiculous now, like it was just, you know, uh, he came over and I remember he was crying because he just knew how heartbroken I was. And then it was like, come sleep on my couch. And just being in that position and being so vulnerable, knowing you have nowhere to live and you you don't even have the money to put, like to have a down payment on an apartment. So like I was legit homeless, save it for my friend, Andy Grammer, um, who also wasn't like, I mean, it was a pretty crappy apartment. (laughs) 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 Let's be real. (laughs) Like, that was back when Andy was microwaving tuna fish. Yeah. Um, Which, Asia, he doesn't do that anymore, does he? moved on. Does he? Okay. He doesn't do it. He doesn't cook at all. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, uh, but there's been so many times, actually, that I've accepted help when I've needed it. And I think that's another journey in masculinity is men being okay with accepting help. But I will say, like, like, Brene Brown's incredible. I just don't know any person... That I've never met that is always giving with a pure heart or accepting with a pure heart. I just don't know if it's physically human. Like, that's a beautiful quote, and she's amazing. I think it's an amazing thing to aspire to. Um, I just don't know any human being that's currently, like, that I've met that is just, like, that is ever 100% pure in anything. And that's one of the beautiful things about being human. Um, I think aspirationally, absolutely, we should always attempt to be pure. But I can tell you right now that there's a lot of times when I give or I think I'm being pure and then I think about it and I talk myself out of it and I go, oh my God, that was so selfish. I'm an awful person. Mm. Like, I just helped that person for me. I should stop doing it altogether. And then that's just a dangerous place. Like the second we start questioning our purity, um, which I do believe we should do, it's, just a, it's like a dangerous road because then because you realize like you're never just completely pure. Giving feels good for a reason. God designed it, like that way for philanthropy feels amazing for a reason, right? Mm. It's a reward that he built in to like a human, like (laughs) so that we could just remind ourselves like, oh wait, this feels good, I should do it more. I don't know anybody that's giving, like whether it's helping somebody over the holidays or showing up to feed the homeless on Skid Row or just helping a friend in need that doesn't feel more fulfilled than the person that they just gave to, but then quickly forgets, right? And Ahmed here, one of my business partners, Muslim, He's the first person to tell me that the Arabic word for human, insan, literally means they who forget. And that's our job here. We forget our human nature all the freaking time. So tying all that back, I don't know anybody that does it perfectly. I love that quote. I love Brene Brown. I think she's incredible. She talks about vulnerability. Um, I just don't know if I'm
0: ever going to get there. Yeah. I agree. I agree with the quote. I think it's great. And I'm trying to think of probably. An area where I've had to really learn how to take um, support or, or take it in is... I, I think probably my wife has been able to be so giving to me. Um, and that's a relationship where you have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You, like, have to learn how to take it. Um, and so I... He is really a giver, though. I, I, I know what you mean, though. Like, it, is, it, it feels more comfortable giving. We've talk, we were talking about this all, all the whole time. It's just more comfortable, and you feel better. There's something about receiving that, either, either it's in our culture or whatever, that perceives it as less. I know once I've had a little bit of money, you start doing this thing where you think that you should just treat everybody all the time to food. And you slowly realize that um, sometimes that's cool. But a lot of times you're kind of being a dick because there's like a certain, once, once it's not about the money, it's about like it, it, can, it can turn into power mm. and that sometimes giving is not giving. So you have to be really careful and that sometimes to just accept someone else paying for the check, something as small as that is actually a sweet thing and important. Um, I don't know if that was as profound as I was hoping it would be, but. Super profound. But I, I appreciate that. That's great. Let's do two more questions. Yes. You always try to buy dinner with me. What?
1: We always fight over it.
0: It's like a sweet thing and then it, like the, the dinner thing is start sweet. You're like, oh my God, let me pay for it. Let me pay for it. And then it like slowly turns into like ego, ego, ego.
1: Although I will never forget, I will never forget it's when he first like kinda hit it big. He took he took me and our other one of our other best friends, Adam, who was a roommate, and he took us to like lobsters and steak, and we
0: absolutely let him That pay. was good. That was fine. <laughs> that was fine. Nice. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um
1: you actually just touched on a little bit of what I wanted to ask you just now when you said ego. Um, I wanted to ask you if you have any tools that you use to connect to your intuition so you can distinguish um, when you're doing the right
0: thing that's really the best for you and the best for maybe the greater good or versus like when you're doing something out of ego and fear greed. That's
1: such a good question. really good. That is such a good question. You got it? Now you go. (laughs)
0: Uh, okay, there's a really cool Bahai quote that I that is like the mo- the when you say tool, I think of it like a tool, because I think right now, with so much of our lives on social media, so much is in comparison. We're like living in a state of comparison that you never get to turn off. Like it's a like, right when you wake up, it's like you're constantly comparing. There's a really cool Bahai quote that says, I'm gonna butcher it. it says, know thou was certainty the heart wherein the least remnant of envy yet lingers will never attain my everlasting dominion. And that basically is like remnant. It's like you've already tried to scoop it all out. And there's like a little bit left over. Even if that's there, then you're not on your path. And from a very young age when I heard that, it's been like a fail safe for me that I try to use consistently. Once I start comparing myself to somebody else, that that comes up and it's like, that's not right. That's not in my purpose. That's not the, the way I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Um, that has actually been very helpful. For, for other people, uh, it's not that helpful. <laughs> but for me, that quote specifically is like, cool. I go back to that a lot. Um, even throughout the day, when I find that I'm like starting to lose. I, I think there's this idea that a gun went off at, at the exact same time for all of us when we started running a race. When it's like the most ridiculous idea ever. Um, so to me, my answer to that is just like, comparison is the thief of joy. And anytime you find yourself doing that, try to create a, a, a fail safe switch in you that goes like, Oh, I'm doing that thing or like compare myself to everybody else. Stop, you know, uh, comparison is the thief of joy is like the perfect quote there. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of
1: intuition and ego, I can tell you that that's, like one of the great questions in life. I I don't know if that's something that any of us will ever get to truly answer. I mean, look, I'm sure there's a bunch of people on social media right now that have that answer. Um, Like all the gurus and all the, that just can tell you, you know, all the different things about yourself that you can fix if you just were to do this. I, I don't know if we'll ever quite figure it out. I think that that's kind of one of the journeys of life is, can you start to learn the difference between a decision made of love and a decision made out of fear. And, you know, Baha'u'llah calls the ego the evil whispering one. It's really quiet, and it's just whispering in your ear all the time, and it's like getting you to second-guess things. And if you don't listen closely, you can't tell the difference between that and your intuition. So you don't know, and that's a really, if you think about it, like, just if you were to design life like a video game, right? Like, what a crazy uh, obstacle to not know if the information you're getting comes from like your purity and your intuition Mm. or if it comes from your ego. And for me, that's where prayer comes in, which I think is, I think of it like a protection. Even in a little moment, like a little tiny prayer, like, oh, what am I doing? Which way should I go? Um, Is this right? Is this not right? What I've also found is that if I think it's intuition, but it's really ego or fear, it's very quickly shown to me which one it is that wall shows up out of nowhere and you hit it at hundred miles an hour and you're like, Oh, <laughs> and then you learn. And that's like the beautiful thing about life. Um, and I've experienced that back to the other quote. I've experienced that in service. Like, why am I doing this right now? Am I doing this for me or is it for, or why am I giving? Am I, wait, am I taking care of myself? Like, and, and it can, it's in every decision we make in marriage, like so much of, marriage is about making like quieting the ego and quieting like the whispering one and like showing up and being open and trusting intuition and being there and that's just like the beauty thing the beautiful thing about life and if anybody's got it figured out like god that's amazing (laughs) but but i think that's that's a muscle i can see us working on our entire lives yeah Any, any other question
0: yes Um, so I ironically moved to Los Angeles about a year ago, so it's the most superficial city in the U.S., right? Sure. And I moved here for graduate st- school for psychology, so I w- I moved to the superficial city to learn how to have deep personal conversations with people. Um, you two seem like really deep personal people, right? Justin, you said how much... Oh, not real. <laughs> how do you deal with it here? Like, and this goes for anyone, how do you... For those listening to this podcast, they probably really appreciate deep conversations. How do you deal with the superficial of L- LA of everyday life? It's a great question, honestly. <laughs> I think that everyone has. This is like kind of a weird answer, but like everybody's got a grandma. Like everybody has something sweet to talk about that will go deeper. And in the conversation, you can always chase it there, you know? Even at like some backstage of, like, an award show or a party where everybody's, like, all glammed up, I find that, they're, that everyone's receptive um, when you do take the conversation somewhere else, you know? Like, one of the things that, I, that I've been asking every woman that I meet, um, whether they're fans or just someone in an elevator, or if I'm with someone for a long period of time, I go, like, could you tell me about your dad? I just had a daughter, and I want to know how to be a better dad. Can you, can you tell me some things that, like, your dad did that were good? Every, every woman goes, like, Either they, right away they're like my dad sucks, <laughs> or like my dad was awesome. These are the reasons why, and now um, now we're like tight. Now we're like closer. I think it's a lot on a city of people is not uh, is not bad. They're just people, yeah.
1: First of all, I love that you talk to people in elevators because I always try to do that, yeah. and it's so awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I challenge everybody in this room or everyone listening to try to talk to someone yeah. in an elevator. Like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, huh? Yeah. It's just that awkward thing. And it's even, um, <laughs> I just can't believe you ask women in elevators about their dad. I think they that's do. so cool. So <laughs> one of the things I love the most, Andy Grammer has <laughs> always been somebody who is just constantly searching for truth. And in all the strangest places, I love it. It's just the coolest. Um, I think that I love L.A. And I love superficial places because, again, it's none of it's real. So I personally take a lot of satisfaction of trying to help people remember why they're even here in the first place or why they moved. And I think that you have an opportunity in a superficial place to like bring so much depth and help people remember. And like, what greater gift than like helping people remember? That's why he
0: does what he does. Also, you're literally like you're sitting in LA having a very deep day. It's true, and that's the one. Like you're that's surrounded one of the cool by things. a lot of people here it's, that are into it. So, yeah. and
1: one yeah. of, like in and yes, it's superficial. But I think like there's also so many amazing people here. Like it draw like the the shininess of L. A. brings artists, and I don't know. There's I mean poets. We're all yeah. like we're all like bleeding hearts that come here, and then we get lost chasing this like the money and the superficiality and the fame and all these things. But at our core, we're all kids with a dream. Yeah, And I think that's what I love about LA is like, you know, if you just go like a little bit deeper, you find like that we're all the same.
0: Also, I'll say one thing, which is maybe a good place to end, is if you are brave enough to um, vocalize that you would like to have deeper conversations, I think you'll find that a lot of people will show up. Yeah. At, at our house, when we were roommates, um, he started something called The Spiritual Talk. And it was basically kind of like this. And just like come hang out we'll read quotes from different religions and we'll pray together and we'll go into these topics that don't get brought up enough and everybody so many people came it was everybody amazing came. we did it every sunday or something every
1: sunday for years, years. and at one point there was like 120 yeah. people in our living room every sunday and you just saw that everybody's craving the same thing and if yeah. you can look like now that you just moved here if you can look at the city or any city if wherever you are listening to this any city you go to in the world any group of people you go to it doesn't matter. They're all, we're all the same. We all have hopes and dreams and parents and grandmas and wants and needs. And none of us feel like we're enough. And we all feel like we suck. And like no one thinks they really look that good when they look in the mirror. And we're all just trying to figure this out. And we're all like learning how to be the best people we can be. And then there's nothing intimidating about it. Whether you meet a celebrity or a person on the street, it's
0: all the same. Thank you all for coming. I had a great time. I hope you had a good time. You. Thank you for and, having uh, me, man. Thank you so much to Justin. I want to leave you with I I, I don't know why I was thinking this like this came out when I was thinking of what I was gonna speak with you about. This is my quote for you from me. You are a tornado soul and inspiration that no one on this planet is safe from. <laughs> That's what that's what you are to me. You're like a spinning ball of soul that like will cross everyone's path. So thank you for being here. And thank you, to everybody, you. for coming. We'll see you thank next you. time. I love, I love you so much. much. That's great. That's great. Thank you. There you have it. Uh, Justin Baldoni, not only obnoxiously good looking, also like the nicest guy in the entire universe. So um, I hope you enjoyed the new format. It's something that's really fun. Just trying it, the live, uh, live audience podcast thing. Tell me what you think about it. Um, as always, please, please, it's been working. Whatever you're doing has been working. This podcast has been going so freaking well. So please keep sharing it, rating it, subscribing, telling all your friends about it. If you think something cool happened in this episode, uh, share it with a friend. It means a lot. It helps a lot. And I love doing this. So, thank you so much. I will see you guys next time. Uh, I'm actually going to be, today we'll be recording the next, next week's one, and it's really good, so be on the lookout for it. See you soon. Tell me your story, but don't leave the good parts out.